1094. Page 1094. Acts chapter 2. And um, beginning at uh, verse 41 with a little bit of an introduction from me. We've had a couple of weeks of doing um, somewhat different things. We had our, our big lunch Sunday and, uh, with an all-age service, and then we had uh, our confirmation service last Sunday. Uh, it was uh, wonderful to have Bishop Paul here and to uh, have him confirming uh, six members of All Souls and somebody from St. Matthew's Fulham as well. Uh, and in the next three Sundays, we've got these three Sundays where we're looking at what it means, what it looks like, what it um, is about in practice to be a member of All Souls. Um, we've called them our Count Me In Sundays, those Sundays where we, we encourage one another to count me in. Um, this, is, this is how I want to mark the fact that I belong here, that this is my home church. Uh, and we're going to be talking over those three Sundays about uh, a commitment to grow in my faith, a commitment to serve as part of a team, um, and a commitment to give financially in whatever way I'm able uh, to God's work here. And, and so today acts as a sort of um, hinge, or maybe a bridge is the better way of describing it, between those two little series. Um, a, hinge between, a bridge between talking about um, living a generous life and what it means to say, oh, count me in uh, to the life of God's people here. And, and really that bridge is formed uh, by these verses, um, I want to suggest. Uh, they come from uh, the beginning of Luke, the second half of Luke's book about um, Jesus and his church. Uh, Luke's gospel sort of continues with Acts. And what Luke's doing is to say, you know what you saw Jesus doing when he was walking around this earth, when he was with his disciples, when he was preaching and teaching and doing miracles? Actually, Jesus carries on doing by the spirit of Jesus in his people. So if you like, actually, Luke is... Is the acts of God part one in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And then acts is the acts of God part two in and through the spirit of Jesus, through his people. And uh, we're going to read just a few verses, very, very well-known verses, that pick up directly from the day of Pentecost, where Peter has stood up, no more the, the coward, if you like, no more the one who denies Jesus behind his back, uh, no more the one who runs and hides, but instead one who stands up and preaches good news because he is determined now that nobody should miss out on the generosity of God uh, in Jesus. And uh, we listen to these verses that simply describe what happens when Peter preaches and the the community of faith that is formed as God's spirit is at work. I'm going to read from verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, page 1094. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptised. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a really significant problem with articulating 
or writing down a, a sort of list of what it might look like um, to be a member but particular church that has a sense of growth and health and, dare I say it, but I say it with big quotation marks around it, success. Because the danger of talking about, well, what does it look like to be a member here? How, how do I count myself in as belonging? Is um, that it comes across as simply a series of demands, of requirements, in order to keep the show on the road. That it will come across as simply, well, look, here's this organization called All Souls that's growing and developing and doing this and doing that. And uh, you've had an example today in that, the Iverbridge newsletter of, you know, here is something we weren't doing a year ago. There is basically almost nothing on that um, double-sided sheet. And uh, it's reduced down from the original four pages that Fee wrote. There's so much going on. There's almost nothing of that that we were doing a year ago. The danger is that actually as we do more and as we grow more, then then when we talk about growing and serving and giving, it simply sounds like, and maybe could even be, a list simply of how do we keep the show on the road? How do we keep the plates spinning fast enough? Part of that danger comes from how we see church. Because it seems to me that depending on the model of church that we've got in our heads and in our hearts, the baggage, if you like, we bring to our church going, there are different dangers associated with those, all of which will mean that actually thinking about, well, what does it mean for me to belong here, uh, will get undermined or will become quite unhealthy. For some, church is primarily, primarily an experience Uh, It's something that I go to and enjoy. It might simply be I enjoy the experience of being here with nice people. I do. Uh, It could simply be uh, enjoying being here and and being caught up in worship uh, or in prayer um, or, most unlikely of all, the sermons. But whatever it is that that you think, this is the experience that, that I enjoy, it's very easy for us to think of church as something I consume, uh, akin to a, um, a course I pay for or a rock concert that I go to or a film that I choose to buy a ticket for. I turn up, I have an experience that I enjoy, and I go away again. Now, there are all sorts of problems with that, of course. One is that actually I therefore only turn up when I feel I need the experience. And if there's another experience I'd prefer to have that particular day, I won't go. But also that if somebody's talking about, well, what does it mean to count myself in? It can feel like a bit of a liberty. Or at least push it a little bit further. It it feels almost like the entrance fee. You know, I'm quite used to paying for a ticket to go to the cinema. Or paying the course fee to get um, uh, some sort of certificate. So, Richard, are you asking me uh, to to do these things in in return for an experience on a Sunday? But I don't think that's even close to what Acts 2 describes as being the heart of what it means to be the church of God. And it should never be the heart of what it means to be us together. I really hope that coming on a Sunday is a good experience. It is for me. I hope it is for you. But that's not the point. That's not the heart of what we're here for. It's possible as well to think of church as being a a little bit closer to being like a club. I I join a club not for the sake of a single experience so much as for the longer-term benefit that it gives me, don't I? 
So you might join a club where you learn to play tennis. Uh, or you might join a club where you, um, uh, you meet like-minded people and, and share something together. Um, you tend to join a club for the sake of the benefits, the longer-term benefits that it gives you. And in many clubs, you, you do get asked to contribute, maybe a, a membership fee, but also maybe volunteering. But if it's a club, then I expect to see a pretty close correlation between what I put in and what I get out. You know, if, if I'm, you could think of a parents' association and a school as a bit like a club. I, I'm part of it and I, I, I give into it, but I'm expecting that coming out of the other end is going to be benefit for my child and for the school that I'm part of and, and maybe benefit for me in terms of friendships. But there's that sort of balancing act. I, I'm going to give in and I'm going to get out. It also tends to be a club of the, the like-minded and the, and, and the similar. We tend to look in a club for people like us and to belong with them to a club. But church is, is no more meant to be like a club than it is meant to be simply an experience. Church is never meant, in, in Bible terms, to simply be something I belong to so I can benefit. Now, just like an experience, I really hope that you and I do benefit from being part of All Souls. I really hope and pray that by being here week by week, by being part of what we are, we are growing in our faith. We are developing in our walk with God. We, we maybe feel more secure in who we are. We feel our children are part of something bigger than themselves and, and are learning something about God. That's fantastic. But again, when we read Acts 2 and elsewhere in the New Testament, church isn't primarily a club. There's one further thing that I think church isn't primarily, and maybe this one will surprise you. Church isn't meant to be primarily, or at least solely, simply a community that I belong to. Now, don't get me wrong, community is fantastic, community is vital to what church is, but if all that I come to church for is to belong to a community, then that can become a very passive thing. You can belong to a community just by being there, can't you? It it, it doesn't require a huge amount of input. If you happen to be one of those fortunate people who live in a road that has a strong sense of community, and I know that some of us do, you get to belong primarily just by benefit of living there. It's a fairly passive thing. And yes, the more you put in, the more you get out. But it's a, it's sort of a warm fuzzy. It's a, it's a thing that I, I, I sort of, I benefit from again. But it's quite sort of inward looking. A community is there for itself. A community is there to support itself, to grow itself. And the problem with that idea, if that's all we think of church as, is that, again, when you read Acts 2 and the rest of the New Testament, this community of faith never existed just for itself. Actually risked its own community for the sake of people who weren't members. Risked its whole existence for the sake of those who never had been part of it. So if we're not meant to simply be an event that we have an experience of, if we're not meant to simply be a club of the like-minded that we benefit from, and if we're not meant to just be a community looking after ourselves, the question is, who are we meant to be? And how can that help us as we think about what it means to say, count me in to the life of all souls? I'm sort of taking as read, unless this is your first Sunday with us, that you like being part of all souls. I love being here. I've got no intention of going anywhere at the moment. um, I... Every now and again, bishops ask clergy, are you going anywhere? You know, you're planning to leave. Um, 
And I, I, I sit there and go, I'm loving it here. Why would I go anywhere else? And I'm assuming by the fact that you've come here again on a Sunday, you like being here, like me. So the question is, okay, we like being here. This seems to be the place where we belong. What is it that we belong to? And if we can get our heads and our hearts around what this is, then the question of how do I say, count me in, I think becomes much more obvious. And the reason that we've preached these last few weeks about a generous life, about generosity, is because I think that it's this idea of generosity that is the key that unlocks this problem, is the the core idea, theme, if you like, that both shapes who the people of God are and defines what we look like. One way of putting it would be to say that the people of God are, sh- are the people shaped by the generosity of God to them and defined or recognized by their generosity to others. Let me say that again. One way of understanding the people of God is to say that they are the people shaped by the generosity of God to them, to us, and defined or recognized by their generosity to others. It's absolutely there, as plain as as you can see in Acts chapter 2. They are the people shaped by God's generosity, and they are the people that are most easily recognized by, defined by their own generosity to others. Let's start at the end and work backwards. It's really clear that they, are, um, they can be recognized by, defined, if you like, by their generosity to one another and to others. Um, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Time and again, the true nature of God's people have been recognized by outsiders looking in by their generosity. We've talked over the last few weeks that generosity has more than one currency, haven't we? There is clearly the currency of money, and and that's part of what's being talked about here. They, they They had everything in common, they sold their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. It's interesting that even statistical surveys back this up. Certainly in this country, every survey that's been done over the last 10 or 20 years says that by a country mile, um, uh, members of Christian churches are um, far more likely to be generous towards charitable giving than any other people group. That those who actually are part of this group that is meant to be defined by generosity actually generally are defined by generosity. It is a really good bit of recognizable DNA in the people of God that they're generous with their money, absolutely. Generous to one another, generous to those causes and organizations that support others, generous to the church that they're part of. But there's more than simply the currency of money, isn't there? We've talked over the last few weeks that we spend other things. We spend our time. It's part of the English language. We say, I spent time with. Are we generous with our time? They were. They spent time with one another. All the believers were together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. Later on in that verse, they broke bread in their homes. They spent not just money on one another, they spent their time. My hunch is that for some of us, that's a much bigger deal than giving money. Sometimes, for some of us, some of the time, money is the easy bit. Time is much harder. 
we, we live in a relatively cash-poor area because even for those who are very wealthy, there are many of us who actually feel that we have very little cash left over because of all the commitments that we've made. But we're also very time-poor because we're busy. It's very hard to spend time on one another. That sense of generosity towards those that we should spend time with, we could spend time with, it's very hard. They're generous um, with all that they have. We've talked about the currency of money. We've talked about the currency of time. We've talked about the currency of hospitality and space that we give to one another. We've just talked about generally that generosity of this is what I have, but it's not just mine. This was a gift from God, and I'm going to give it where it's needed. I wonder if somebody wanted to define or recognize the people of all souls. I wonder how they define us. I wonder whether they define us as busy or lively or uh, child-friendly um, or welcoming. I hope, I mean, some of those things I really hope are absolutely true. But wouldn't it be wonderful to be known as, oh yeah, they're really generous. They're generous people, generous with their time, generous with their hospitality, generous with their welcome, yeah, and generous with their money. Throughout the Bible, from the very first page of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God's people again and again and again are recognizable by their generosity, by what they give. But the crucial thing here is that that generosity comes out of what they believe they've received. Rather than it being a duty that is landed on our shoulders, you should give this, it is simply and always, when it's healthy, a response to what God has already given us. Because, and this comes to our first point, uh, comes back to our first point, God are shaped by the generosity of God to us. It's right the way through this description of the early church. Listen to it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Four things there that are gifts of God. The first was the apostles' teaching. See, the thing about the Christian faith is it's not a belief that somehow there are some gurus that have a bit of wisdom to give us. Please, God, I pray that you don't have any notion that you're coming to church to hear how wise Richard is. That would be a terrible waste of your time on a Sunday morning, a dreadful thing to do. Actually, what we're gathering together is to hear uh, the, the sent one's teaching. That's the whole, an apostle is a sent one. And you're sent by somebody who has a message to give. God is the sender. God is the one whose wisdom, whose teaching we're here to receive. And hopefully you listen to my words and you sieve them well, you weigh them up, and those which are useful and from God, you take hold of, and the stuff I say that isn't, you ignore. That's the point. But it's, it, it, we're on the receiving end of something that God is giving. That's the first thing, the apostles' teaching. Secondly, they're on the receiving end of fellowship. Fellowship is that sense of being together with those who, are, who have been called to the same purpose. It's, not a, it's often used in Christian circles as a sort of warm, fuzzy word of sort of togetherness and niceness. Actually, fellowship is a business word to do with partnership. 
being in it for the same purpose, actually being called for the same purpose. God is the one who gives you a sense of fellowship. It's a gift. When you come to church and you enjoy being part of something here, you're enjoying another gift that God gives. The apostles' teaching, we receive as a gift from God. The fellowship of God's people, we receive as a gift from God. The breaking of bread. The wonderful service of communion where we come and we put our empty hands and we receive a piece of bread. We take the cup with empty hands. And what we receive in those symbols is the reminder that everything God has done for us is gift. The body and blood of Jesus broken and given for us. And then we receive in prayer and in signs and in wonders. God answering prayers that we could never have imagined being answered. God doing things that we could never have manufactured ourselves. God being at work amongst us. The thing about being a church that is shaped by the generosity of God is simply that we have to put ourselves in a position to receive it. Um, Last night there was this um, two-hour, roughly, um, hiatus between the point at which Stephen would normally have gone to bed at the Clearly, um, these batteries aren't all they're cracked up to be. I'll just keep going. Um, the point at which Stephen would normally have gone to bed about 9 o'clock and the point at which this blessed football match was going to start. And in that couple of hours, um, uh, trying to redress the balance of football, um, time in the back garden um, with a rugby ball. Um, and um, I really do think it is this battery, so I'm going to... Ch- um, Fat, can I swap over to this What do you reckon? Yeah, we'll see. And um, so we, you know, we played God's own game for a little bit. And we, um, so t- basically what Stephen wanted to practice was um, a bit of passing, but also he wanted to practice, I'm sorry if you're not into rugby, this won't mean a lot to you, but catching a high ball. Okay, so at a kickoff, you know, you've got to be able to catch the ball, not knock it on, uh, turn and all of that stuff. Okay, so I was just chucking the ball as high as I could into the sky without putting it into the neighbor's garden. And he was, um, you know, running around and, and catching the thing. And actually, I mean, I don't, I don't play rugby and I, I have little idea of it as a player. But watching him, the whole point of it is that you have to put yourself in the right position to get it. The whole trick is not so much what you do with your arms, although there's a bit of that. It's primarily putting yourself in the right place to be able to receive what's been given to you. Put yourself in the wrong place and you're always in trouble. That's the same in trying to take a catch in cricket. For that matter, it's the same if you really want to talk football. Um, Putting yourself on the end of a cross. The fact is you have to be in the place to receive the gift. And if you're not in the place to receive the gift, it doesn't actually matter how good the gift is. Wouldn't matter how great my throw into the air is. Wouldn't matter how great the cross is. Wouldn't matter what a great catch it would be. Actually, if you're not in the right place to receive it and you haven't got open hands or open, open arms, it's useless. For all these good gifts God gives us, the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, actually the ways in which God would love to answer our prayers, if we don't put ourselves in a position to receive, those gifts simply go wasted. It's not that God doesn't give, we just don't receive. For those of you who aren't into sport, there's a different way of thinking about it, a different illustration, if you like. Uh, And that's to do with gardening. Take a plant. You know what a plant needs. It needs sunlight, it needs water, it needs um, nutrients in the soil. But you also know that actually simply having a plant over here and a, you know, sunshine out there and a 
watering can of water and some fertiliser over here is absolutely pointless. Simply because you have those gifts and you've got the plant, the plant's still going to die. The plant can be trying all it can, and you know, if you know a bit of gardening, that actually as a plant gets stressed, it's often the time when it will bear fruit and will it put out its flowers, and it can look like it's doing great, but it's dying. As a Christian, you can be doing great, but dying. As a Christian, you can be bearing fruit, you can look fantastic with the flowers and the fruit that you're bearing, but actually because you're not put in a place to receive from God, you're simply giving out, and you'll do great good, but you'll die in your faith. See, this is the corrective to all of that stuff that goes on in a busy church. It's my huge fear, my deepest terror as we grow and as we develop as a church, that we will get better and better and better at doing stuff and worse and worse and worse at receiving. And that's why this year when we've talked about Count Me In, we're not simply talking about serving as part of a team and giving financially, though those two things are utterly vital and we have no way around the fact that we need people who are going to serve with their gifts and who are going to give financially. Absolutely. The giving is vital. But if that's all we do, we will burn ourselves out. We will die spiritually. And as a church, we'll do a lot for a little bit and in a few years' time, there won't be a lot to show for it. That's why the very first part of the commitment that we're making together in our Count Me In is to grow, to grow in our faith. To put ourselves in the position where we're ready to receive what God has to give us. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the receiving of answers to prayer, we put ourselves in a position to receive what God gives. Now the fact is, if you do one without the other or the other without the one, you're in trouble both ways. If you spend all your Christian life simply giving out, you will burn out. You will dry up. You will lose your way spiritually. You will end up hating church, actually. You'll end up feeling, well, gosh, I need a few Sundays off. On the other hand, if all you ever do is put yourself in a position to receive, then you'll blow up. It's breathing in, breathing out stuff, isn't it? If all you do is breathe out, you'll get breathless and eventually keel over. If all you do is breathe in, you'll go pop. One way or another, you need both. You need to receive from God and give out. And the wonderful thing about this picture of the early church is they did both all the time. They didn't, you know, one Sunday we'll do a bit of receiving and another Sunday we'll do a bit of giving. They did it all the time. They devoted themselves to both, to receiving from God and growing in their faith and to serving one another and giving to one another financially. They did both. One without the other will one way or another kill you spiritually. And my hunch is that most of us know which of those we're more likely to miss out on. The caricature would be, if you're a bit of an activist, you're more likely to burn yourself out by doing too much. And if you're more of a contemplative, you're more likely to, do, to be a little bit sort of um, over-fertilised. <laughs> You need to do both. So over these next three Sundays, as we talk about growing in our faith, serving as part of teams, giving financially, you need to hear where God's nudging you, not where I'm nudging you. You need to hear what it is that God is reminding you of. If this is your church, if this is where you belong, then I hope you'll take all three really seriously and with joy.
This is, this is an incredible adventure we're on. This is a wonderful journey that we're, we're taking together. And there's genuinely nowhere else in the world I would rather be. But I guarantee that each of us will have to be thinking about a particular place that God is nudging us. And in, especially if you've just gone off the boil a bit spiritually and you know you need to spend some more time being in a place to receive, then do that. It's an active thing. You have to run and put yourself in the place to receive what God's got. Or if you've got a little bit complacent and you're taking a ride, then find a way to serve and to give a little bit more and then go back and receive some more. The people of God are shaped by the generosity of God but recognised by their generosity to others. We need to be on the receiving end of God's generosity and to be givers of that generosity to others. May that be the case for all souls now and in the months and the years to come. Amen. John of the band are going to lead us in uh, two or three songs.